Welcome to another of the 10 Minutes with podcasts that Jonathan Strawn and I started doing, we thought, for a few weeks, and now forever, it looks like. Um, but today, I'm delighted to be able to talk to an old friend and a friend of the podcast and a legendary fan and activist, Cheryl Morgan. Uh, how are you today, Cheryl? I am unseasonably warm because the temperatures are quite high in the UK today. That's probably a relief considering what it might be like. Yeah, you know, um, English summers are generally cold and wet, but uh, today, at least in the south of England, it has been warm and dry, although you never quite know because we get humid as well, so thunderstorms are always a, a possibility. Right. I was uh, thinking recently about weather in England because uh, my M. John Harrison's new novel really has a lot of wet weather in it. It does, yes. And I, I think that's at least in part because of where Mike is living these days. You know, he's he's up there on the, the Welsh borders. I think he, he right. might actually be in Shropshire. And the changing climate has caused an awful lot of flooding. I mean, it, it floods around here, of course. I'm right. near Somerset, where it, it, the flooding is legendary. That That's why we have the whole Isle of Avalon thing, and the, it's called the summer country. So we get lots of flooding here, but some of the flooding... Uh, on Welsh borders has been particularly bad, and uh, and Worcester in particular has has you know suffered from it. So I can quite understand why he's talking about rising tides and having to do things to your cellar mm -hmm. because of the flooding. Well, let's go on to our usual topics of these things, which is during this lockdown. What 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 do you find? What do you find yourself enjoying reading, or for that matter, not enjoying reading? <laughs> Well, you know, Gary, we, we have the same problem in, in that, you know, we, we often don't exactly get to pick what we want to read. There are so many books out there and we we both do reviews. So I have a whole slew of things, but I do at least get to choose. I don't have uh, an editor sitting over me cracking the whip saying we must have a review of that one, Cheryl. I get oh, no. to, to pick the ones I want. So obviously I have been reading the Mike Harrison, as we've just been discussing. Okay, good. <laughs> Um, but there are a couple of other books that I had in the last issue of uh, Salem Futura, which I very much uh, enjoyed. But before you before you mention that, you're reading both the new John Harrison, uh, Mike Harrison books. The uh... Uh, I haven't got the collection yet. Okay. Uh, Comma Press say they're sending it to me, so I presume it will arrive at at some point. And I, I do actually have a, a PDF of it, but I really don't like reading PDFs. I don't like reading PDFs either. But, yeah. but so you have read that Sunken Land Begins to Rise Again. Sure. Yes. Yes. I'm I very much enjoyed it. In for this part of the podcast. <laughs> uh, interestingly, it got reviewed in The Spectator today, which is about as, really? close as, as close as you can come to being reviewed in The Waterhouse. It was really quite bizarre. Amazing. <laughs> yes. So what the, are the other titles that you had? Well, there the are two books that I've got. One of the Jonathan actually mentioned on a, a recent uh, Cooth Street, it's called Mordew by a chap called Alex Phoebe, who has had quite a bit of success as a mainstream literary writer. Uh, he is actually a, a, um, a lecturer doing creative writing and stuff, but he's decided to do a fantasy trilogy. And it's come out from a, a company called Galley Beggar Press, who are probably best known for a book called Duck's Newburyport, which was shortlisted for the booker. And then it is this, this incredibly long sentence. I, I looked at it, the thousand pages with three sentences. 
Yeah. Um, so they, they published that, but also it's a company owned by a chap called Sam Jordison, who uh-huh. is an old friend of mine. Um, I first met him at a Clark Awards ceremony uh, when back when Salon Futura was uh, was a paying venue, he did a whole bunch of reviews for me of mainstream books which he thought science fiction readers would enjoy. And he's also done quite a bit of science fiction stuff in The Guardian as well. So he's he's definitely uh, one of us, as uh, the, the old saying goes. But Mordu is, is a really fascinating thing. I mean, I'm sure some people will compare it to Gormenghast in that it, it, it's this sort of enclosed environment with very uh, old-fashioned, stuffy people. But it's much more of, of a city-based thing, that, that you know, the, the, the master of Mordu has his castle in the centre of, of everything, but a lot of the action takes place in the city. And it does something quite interesting with the traditional fantasy trope of, of the, the chosen one. Mm-hmm. So it, it has this young boy who clearly has strong magical powers and, and is destined for something or other. But instead of being taken in by you know people who look after him and helping to become king and whatever, he's 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 ferociously manipulated by everybody. His his parents manipulate him, the gang of street urchins that he falls in with manipulate him, the criminal overlords manipulate him, the master when he gets hold of him manipulates him as well. And by the end of the book, he is thoroughly fed up, but has also discovered that he's the most powerful magician in the world, and he lets them have it. Well, this is not actually published yet, am I right? It is published. I, I, well, it, it's very near published if it's not actually published. I got a review copy, but it, okay. it's like any time now. So, yeah, it's 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 really quite interesting. Uh, and it's always always interesting to see the take that somebody from outside of the field has when they come in to do something. Right. Um, and the other one that I really liked, um, which you've probably seen, is The Emperor of Salt and Fortune by... I'm going to, to butcher this, so apologies in advance. Nivo. I know I had the same thing, and I, um, and of course we're we're all being very sensitive, reasonably about pronunciations now. But uh, this is a this is a novella, actually. That's right. Yeah, and it's, um, it's absolutely the, the prose is, uh, is 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 gorgeous. Yeah, and and some really great espionage in it as well. I was was, was reading through the, the various tricks that the, the Empress used to get messages to her, her people. And I was thinking, you know, Francis Limon would have been proud to have come up with that one. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, it's it's really enjoyable. I'm glad there's going to be another uh, novella in the, the, the same world, which I think is out in December. It's interesting how many new worlds are showing up, first in novellas, uh, or kind of you know, an invented world. There's a Zen Cho novella that uh, is, is kind of wuxia thing, and you want to see more of that world. But I'm kind of at the same time glad that this didn't start out as a trilogy because you get to sample the world without being trapped in it for three volumes. Yeah, I mean, it, it's not entirely new. I mean, Beggars in Spain started out as a novella, and that became three books. Well, right, uh, and but, but but there's a point at which. You either want more of a world or you don't, and making that decision at the end of a novella, you haven't lost much. That's true. Yeah, yeah. So, so what um, else? Uh, you, the, well, I, I've got a whole bunch of things queued oh, up yeah. to read for the the, the next issue. Um, I, it's sitting next to me is Kate Elliott's Unconquerable Son, which I have been looking forward to ever since I I heard of it because you know I, I'm an ancient history 
geek right. as well. Um, and um, I, I have um, Harrow the Ninth on its way to me. Um, that Excellent. will be, uh, you know, I, I'm sure. Uh, if I may be permitted a small pun, it'll be a harrowing read. But um, oh dear, <laughs> there you are. Well, do you um, find books uh, apart from the things that because I'm the same way, and I found myself reading some things I didn't expect to read, partly because the lockdown plus retirement, which by the way is a good idea. I, I would love to retire, but uh, the government keeps pushing the pension age back in this country, so I don't think I will ever be able to. But it gave me time to read some things I didn't have to read. I read Jeeves uh, aloud uh, to my partner, uh, which holds up amazingly well, I think. Cool. And I read, I read a, a horror, a, a, one of these novels I got. I'm not going to mention the title. It was a horror novel. It came to me to review, and I, I thought I'll take a look at it. And uh, I did, and I'm glad I don't have to review it because it's bad. But I finished it. Uh, and then just last week, I read Lovecraft Country, which I did not read when it came out. And... Ah. I'm, I, I wanted to read it before the TV show uh, appears, um, and it, it's it, it was very enjoyable as well. I mean, it's uh, part of the whole Lovecraft—I uh, don't know what you call it—rebuild. Um, but um, have, do you have books that you fall back on in times of stress that are are not brand new books? I mean, I know you're a historian. I know you read a lot of history. What are your comfort reads? What do you recommend? I, I don't have time for comfort reads, Gary. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I, I spend so much reading that I really don't want to be reading for comfort. I just collapse in front of the television and watch some superhero stuff on, you know. You can tell us what your favorite comfort superhero is, if that's not an oxymoron. Well, yeah, no, I, 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 I will always watch Black Panther again and again, but then I've been a Black Panther fan since I was a kid, and that's a very long time ago. Uh, but I very much enjoyed watching Doom Patrol. We finally got the first season of that in the UK, uh, and it really is a very fascinating superhero team uh, with uh, with a lot of great history. I, I did a review of that as well in the, the latest Salon Futura and had a, a little dig into the history of it. I wasn't aware that Doom Patrol had originally started you know, way back in the you know, 1950s, I think it was, possibly 60s. Um, I should uh, look up my review and uh, check on that. But it, I, mean, I didn't know that either. No, I mean, if, if you watch Doom Patrol on the TV, the first thing that you're going to think of is that uh, it's 19, 1960s it started. But uh-huh. if, if you watch it on the TV, the first thing you will think of is, oh, this this is a ripoff of X-Men. You know, it, it's got these people who are outcasts but have right. strange powers. It's got the chap in the wheelchair who's their mentor. It looks very much like it. it it's somebody's copied X-Men. But it, it's not. It's the other way around. It was, it, Doom Patrol came first. Um, it was interesting. We, we we spent a couple of uh, days just impulsively rewatching a, a bunch of Blake Seven episodes uh, because they were on YouTube or someplace, and I hadn't seen these in decades, probably. Uh, wow. And so they have some good ideas in them. Um, it's, mm-hmm. it, it was more sophisticated. I mean, obviously, it looks very tacky by today's standards, but so does the nineteen sixty seven Star Trek series. But, oh, yeah. British science fiction television always looks very tacky, <laughs> even well, the modern stuff. Um, well, let's get to the the, the, the final thing. Uh, you 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 mentioned Salon Futura a couple of times, and and it's 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 ap- 
it's active, it's running, it's got reviews, it's got stuff. Is that uh, your main project these days, or is there other stuff you'd like us to know about? Uh, well, there are two things that I'm doing that are, I'm not connected with that. Salon Futura is just a fanzine, and, and I, I did it mainly to force myself to read books because I was doing so many other things that I was uh-huh. running horribly behind on my reading. But I've now started doing sensitivity reading professionally. Uh-huh. Um, I've been doing it on a, a sort of um, you know, amateur basis for, for years now that people would come to me and say, Cheryl, I've got this minor trans character in my book. Uh-huh. It's only two or three paragraphs. Will you take a look? And I said, fine, no problem. I mean, it, it's it's not that much work. And I've done that for people like you know, Paul Cornell and Paul uh, Barnett. And, uh, so um, I, I did one for, for Mike Carey a while back for a short story, which was a bit more involved because it was a uh, you know, trans character main character in it and he turned that short story into a uh, a trilogy science fiction trilogy um with trans characters in it and he came to me and asked if i wanted to do sensitivity reading hmm. so um so obviously i said yes but this has to be you know properly professional and and whatever and that meant of course that i got to, to read the new mike carey novels before anybody else which was wonderful <laughs> Oh, that's great. Yeah, and I, I really enjoyed working with Mike on those. There's uh, a, a thing that we did for the Con Zealand Fringe. There's a, a panel on sensitivity reading with Mike and myself and uh, three other people where we talk about the, the process of sensitivity reading and what it can bring to the book, what it does for the publisher, what it does for the reader, and, and so on. But so having done that, of course, people are now coming to me with, with other jobs. Uh, I've done another novel for a British publisher. I've got another novel lined up that I need to start reading next. So that's that's all ongoing. And, of course, there's still Wizards Tower Press, which you know, I, I still have my, my little publishing company. And uh, we're doing very well, I think. Um, it's going to be new from Wizards Tower. Well... We've been doing these uh, books with Juliet McKenna. When I, I started out, uh, Juliet had all of her old books had gone out of print, and she wanted someone to bring them, you know, back as ebooks. But um, since then, she's been writing new stuff, and British publishers in general have not been interested in taking it because they only want people who are you were new, you know, you know what publishers are like. Oh yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, Juliet had this book called the green man's air, which is a contemporary fantasy. And, uh, whereas as most contemporary fantasy is, is urban stuff like the, uh, Tate Halloway book that I, I published, uh, Juliet's book is, is rural contemporary fantasy. So it's all set out in the country with, you know, trees and that sort of stuff. Um, and, I agreed to publish it without any huge expectation, um, but it was a great book because Juliet's a really good writer, and it's now sold over twelve thousand copies. That's impressive. Uh, when, I, when I hear the phrase "small press," it small press covers a lot of territory. Um, it surely does. It, it, it's way more than most of what we've done. But we put out a sequel, which we launched at, at Wilcon in Dublin. And that's sold a few thousand copies now. It is currently on uh, a 99 sale with Amazon for the whole of August. And uh, book three is on pre-order at the moment and doing very nicely. Thank you. 
well, that's good news and good news for, for, for Juliet, who uh, has found a lifeline, it sounds like, in uh, Wizard's yeah. Tower, which is, which is appropriate because you throw lifelines out of Wizard's Towers, don't you? And uh, Well, I, I think that's more towers that princesses are in. With the, okay, uh, well, but... okay, whatever, Rapunzel. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. we've, we've run over our time. I knew we would. I knew we'd uh, go over 10 minutes, but it's been yeah. delightful. Uh, can, can, I, can I mention one more oh, thing? Sure, one more. Sure. Because we do have uh, another book coming out in October, which is a collection of dark fantasy stories by the Croatian writer Aleksandar Žiljak. Um, and again, it's it's great stuff. Um, you know, I, I'm really happy to be publishing fiction in translation, and hopefully, people will buy and enjoy that one too. Yeah, we didn't get enough. Uh, time to talk about fiction and translation, which which you and I will talk about as soon as we stop recording. Because I want to ask <laughs> a couple of questions, but uh, a, a, again, very briefly, this has been uh, Cood Street Podcast, sixteen or seventeen minutes with Cheryl Morgan. Thank you so much for being with us, Cheryl. It's been a pleasure as always, Gary.